The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. I know you don't want to hear this right now, but one day when you lighten the hip-hop world on fire, it'll be because you have a unique perspective. And when you're collecting all your source awards, you'll thank me. Source Awards. Is that as far as I get in your dreams? All right, all right, you're Can right. Can I get a Grammy or something? Nobel Prize. How about that? Thank me in that speech. Hey, friends. Welcome back to Represent. I'm Aisha Harris, your host, as always. And I hope everyone is enjoying the last bit of summer before we slide on into the season of boots and pumpkin-spiced everything. Thankfully, my academic days are far behind me, but for lots of youngins, it's just about back-to-school time. And what better way to honor the occasion on this show than to talk about the evergreen genre of of coming-of-age stories? Today, we're going to home in on such stories that are presented from the perspective of people of color. That clip you just heard at the top of the show is from Morris from America, a new film starring Craig Robinson and Marquise Christmas about a Black father and his teenage son who moved to the unfamiliar, all-white city of Heidelberg, Germany. But first, we're going to chat about the new Netflix show, The Get Down, the dazzling, dizzying, Boslerman-produced musical drama, which follows a group of black and brown teens growing up in 1977, the Bronx, amidst the backdrop of the peak of disco and the birth of hip-hop. And appropriately enough, my former grad school classmate and friend, (laughs) Tiffany Vasquez, who is now the Saturday afternoon host for Turner Classic Movies, joins me today. Hello. Hello. I'm so glad you're on the show. I'm so happy to be here. Oh my gosh. So happy. <laughs> I'm so glad you were not uh, turned off by me and Antonia in the first episode, just like <laughs> gushing about you. Oh my god. Antonia's awesome. Thank you so much for that. It was, it was, I was starting to cry on the train listening to it. Oh no. <laughs> but yeah, I'm so excited to be here. This podcast is so, so, so good. And I, I just love it so much. Oh, thank you. I, I mean, first, I don't, I don't know if you want to share a little bit about like what you do in Turner Classic Movies because sure. it's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> I uh, introduce and give a little bit of an outro to every movie that plays every Saturday and on the Eastern time, it's the afternoon. So it'll start at 12 noon and usually the last movie airs around six. So that's every single Saturday. And of course, West Coast time, it usually airs starts at 9 a.m. And it's whatever's on TCM at the moment, and we're ending August now. And August, of course, is Summer Under the Stars on TCM, where yeah. 24 hours is dedicated to a star. And some I've been able to introduce a whole chunk of Humphrey Bogart movies, which is just crazy that I was able to do that. Yeah. That in my first shoot, I did Casablanca, which is like... <laughs> It's a surreal to be introducing that on Turner Classic Movies. Yeah, so yeah. that's part of what I do. And, of course, I'm around for other TCM-related events. Just, I don't know, it's been pretty fantastic. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> so exciting. And you are the first female host of TCM, right? Sure, yes. The first uh, regular female. Regular mm-hmm. female host and yeah. the first Latina. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> I I know how much how big of a film film nerd you are. <laughs> you and I went to NYU yep. for cinema studies together. We sure did. Yeah, I'm just I'm so proud. So thank you. <laughs> anyway, now that we've praised each other to the high heavens, 
Uh, let's jump into the get down, which yes. Tiffany, you texted me like a week ago <laughs> and you said, please tell me we're going to talk about the get down. Yes, I did. Because, okay, I was like, well, maybe she's thinking we'll talk about it, but maybe she's not. So I need to make sure. No, I'm glad you did. Because I, I actually, to be honest, I hadn't even thought that far. Mm-hmm. And so when you yeah. mentioned it, I was like, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. uh, it's obviously, if anyone knows me, it's a story I'm kind of protective of and it hits very close to home. I am Puerto Rican. I live in the Bronx. Uh, most of my family is from the Bronx. And my mother was 12 in 1977. My mother's generation, all that whole generation of my family grew up with hip hop in the Bronx. And it's something that I know the story from hearsay. I know the story from all the stories people told me. Mm-hmm. And these are firsthand accounts. And it was a little bit unnerving for me to learn that Baz Luhrmann was handling it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, let's let's talk a little bit about just explain the promise a little bit for people who who might not be familiar. Yeah. It's Netflix's new yes. uh, <clears throat> new. I guess it's a two part musical. They're, they aired, they dropped the first six episodes a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and they're going to drop the the final six uh, in next year yeah i think so and so it centers around a bunch of black and brown kids Mm -hmm. growing up in the bronx in 1977 Mm -hmm. and the lead kids in this in this uh musical right are zeke played Mm -hmm. by justice smith yep and you have oh god i can you pronounce it harrison f guardiola yeah i that seems about right. <laughs> I've never heard her in an interview or anything. I've never heard anyone say her name. Yeah. So I've just been reading her name. Well, Guardiola, she plays Mylene Cruz. Yeah. And they're sort of on again, off again, crush lover yeah. friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Zeke, his, his, he's actually half black and half Puerto Rican. Yes. And he's living with his aunt after both of his parents have died. Correct. And he loves to rhyme and, and write poetry. Right. And his teacher is telling him, you you know, you need to do this scholarship mm-hmm. or this internship. Or, and But he also, like, loves music. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. There's a lot going on. It's very hard so to much. be concise there's when talking about a this. a lot going on. Because you also have... Mylene also loves music, but yes. she's more of a, she wants to be a disco queen. She yeah. wants to be a sort of Donna Summer type. Right. Because at this time, hip hop didn't exist yet. So right. still, Zeke is like figuring out what this is. Exactly. And Mylene doesn't know what that is either. And it seems a little too um, not refined enough for her. So she wants to sing disco. She wants to be Donna Summer. Yeah. And so she also has an uncle mm-hmm. played so flamboyantly <laughs> by Jimmy Smith, mm-hmm. <laughs> who is named Francisco Cruz. Yeah. And he's sort of the, I don't know what you'd call him. He's like a community organizer. Yeah. He is connected both to the the Puerto Rican population in the Bronx, but right. also to the gov- like the government. Yes. And he's trying to strike a deal with Koch, Koch. Koch, yeah. Koch. I always, there's a funny moment in, I think, the fourth episode where they go back and forth about cock. It's coach. so funny. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, but he, he's trying to uh, get affordable housing yeah. for the people in the Bronx. And right. he's trying to strike a deal with, with Kosh to, mm-hmm. to give him help him get the vote while Kosh is trying to become the, the mayor. Right. So there's all of that. <laughs> yes. And that's on top of the, the state of New York at the time, the state of the Bronx at the time, right? The, it was in literal shambles. You had uh, buildings in rubble. You had landlords either burning down buildings themselves or paying people to burn down their buildings because the insurance payoff was way more worth it than actually sticking around. Um, crime was ridiculous. You've had everything from redlining to, you know, all these socioeconomic things happening at the time where it just seemed like a very desperate situation. And then you have things which one episode, of course, covers like the blackout. Mm -hmm. And these were times in New York that are historic, you know, sayings the Bronx is burning, you know, that's going to live on for a very long time. And these are effects that we're still living with in the Bronx. Still, how many people do you know live in the Bronx or from the Bronx in, in your whole New York life so far you yeah <laughs> <laughs> you and, and my producer Marilyn raised her hand as well yeah. <laughs> uh, but you live in Brooklyn now Marilyn but I was raised in the Bronx uh, right yes, yes. <laughs> well to be fair 
Well, my my aunt and uncle lived in the Bronx when I was in my early early childhood, but they haven't lived there for years. So yeah. I've probably been to the Bronx since then three or four times. Right. It's still this stigma from then. No matter where I've worked, no matter where I've interned, there are people like, oh, that's cool. You live in the Bronx. That's nice. And then chances are maybe they've been to Yankee Stadium. Uh, yeah. m- maybe they'll take a day to go to Bronx Zoo or Botanical Gardens. Mm. Only on Wednesdays. Right. Only on Wednesday when it's free. <laughs> See, I didn't even know that. <laughs> There's still this thing about the Bronx that is just so... Um, it's just so separated. Of course, of course, I can't say that without saying Staten Island probably has I mean, it the worst. I, I was going to say, at least you're not Staten Island. Right, right. You don't have to take a ferry <laughs> to get there. But yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally, I, I admit the Bronx, to, being in Brooklyn, it's even difficult for me to go to Harlem, much yeah. less the Bronx. So I, I totally get that. I think the get down, <laughs> despite being, the first episode at least is directed by Baz Luhrmann and then yeah. he, basically executive produced mm-hmm. the entire thing. Right. The 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 show does very much try to capture the Bronx as burning. Yes. It's very to to some to some varying degrees, mm-hmm. I think. The first episode can we talk about the first episode? Yeah, my least favorite episode. <laughs> it made me actually I almost was if I hadn't had to, you know, write about it or work like for, for work, mm-hmm. I was just thinking to myself, this is a mess. Yeah. And I know it's Baz Luhrmann and everyone uh-huh. says, what do you expect? Because, and I'm, right. I know, but this felt like chaos beyond even Baz Luhrmann's wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. Just the way their scenes felt truncated. The, the diet, like Jimmy Smith's was all the way up to 120 yeah. Yeah. in a way. He tones it down a bit afterwards. Sure. And, and Giancarlo Esposito, who I usually love as the as so he plays Pastor Cruz, who yes. is Mylene's father, uh-huh. and he it's you know the typical story of <laughs> Pastor is not happy that his daughter wants to sing disco yeah. or sing the devil's music. Yeah, it's like it's like a Pentecostal pastor, super stereotypical yeah. Bronx Latino, like Spanish church. People going convulsing, speaking tongues in the church, flipping, doing all that. Type was of that stuff. real? Like realistic? Because you, you are, you are religious. You, yeah. You, so was that realistic? So for it, you? <laughs> that's a little turned up compared to. I mean, my grandparents' church. It was a. They grew up in a church in East Harlem, uh, that was a Pentecostal church. It was a Spanish speaking and. It's like this is just like a caricature of that. You know, of course, there were a lot of moments that were like if that was on 10, this their churches were maybe like two to three on that yeah. volume scale. But it, it just it made me a little sad because we we know Giancarlo is amazing. We know that when he's turned down, he can be so much more effective. He simmers so he, well. Oh, yeah. my gosh. We know it. Yeah. And so now seeing him in this role was, was you know, a little bit of a letdown. Yeah. It, it, overall, the first episode and the fact that it's 90 minutes long is yes. also it just tries to pack too much into one to yeah. one up. It's basically a short direct to video movie. Yeah, basically. Um, and it, it also it, it just seemed to try to strike. So you have that whole narrative. You mm-hmm. also have. Shaolin Fantastic, yes. played by Shamik Moore. Uh-huh. Uh, he's from Dope. Yep. That's probably his biggest claim to fame at this point. Yeah. Which and- is funny because I, when I finally saw him at the VMAs, I was like, oh, so that's what he looks like in 2016. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the, <laughs> like not being in any sort of time period piece. Yeah. And even then, he looked like a 90s throwback. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, so. Shaolin Fantastic, he is a. I guess a upcoming b-boy he is studying under Grandmaster Flash yeah and yeah. Grandmaster Flash in real life is one of the producers on the show mm-hmm. as are Nas yeah and I think Cool Herc might have advised to okay. some extent that I guess even though Baz Luhrmann is directing and ex- executive producing this he at least had the you know the the wherewithal to actually reach out to people who have some connection to hip-hop so right. there's that right after that soundtrack. So uh, Shaolin Fantastic is he's training under Grandmaster Flash and he's hoping that Grandmaster Flash will teach him how to DJ. Right. 
and he he does a lot of kung fu. He does stuff. He's inspired, and that's pretty realistic. To like, people were very into kung fu. Bruce Lee was like a god right. to youth at that time, and so while at first it definitely rubbed me the wrong way, I was like, "This is stupid." But <laughs> <laughs> that's how I felt. Too. <laughs> but then I really started to like it after a while. It started to feel more to me like. Right. This is their way of being superheroes, Mm -hmm. right? Like the power of hip hop, the power of DJing, the power of moving a crowd and getting a reaction from them and using all of these things amidst the fact that so many forces are against you Mm -hmm. uh, that, yeah, you feel like a superhero. There there is a sort of like power to it. Yeah. What do you think overall? So the first episode is pretty not easy to watch. Yeah. And you may feel disheartened after watching it but it does get better once the storylines sort of start to merge Mm -hmm. and also become like collapse so there's not as many to to follow and things make more sense and and the episodes are sort of they're only an hour after that and i mean at the center of this is really and what i think is is really unique about this is the fact that these are this is a coming of age story which Mm -hmm. we've seen so many times but it's from the perspective of black and brown kids yeah, yeah and also from from a period like a time period that i don't think you know we, there's there are tons of movies and, and documentaries that have been made about this this time period but sure they're not this feels unique and different to me yeah i agree it's it's got a humanity to it it's got emotions it's got you know a lot of melodrama but it takes an actual narrative from this instead of just presenting facts and um just showing people starving or committing crimes or anything like that. You've got an Afro-Latino who is just trying to figure out life. And it's so that's why after watching a lot of episodes, I really started to love it. The parts that I liked, I loved. I, first of all, am really happy to finally see some credit, I guess, given to the Puerto Rican element of this foundation of hip hop, Mm -hmm. because I think most times we don't really shed light on that. Uh, You've got people like Crazy Legs, who is definitely the most famous breakdancer in history and probably always will be, but still not really given the amount of praise in the creation of hip hop along with maybe like Cool Herc or Grandmaster Flash, which of course they deserve, but there's room for I think everybody. Right. And this there's so much Puerto Rican pride in this show yeah. that I was not expecting. I mean, we we were definitely there and I'm happy to see it. I didn't think someone would actually pay attention to it and present it. So that really surprised me and it made me very, very happy to see. And the fact that it's so mixed. You, it, there are Afro-Latinos, you know, creating these things. It, it, we need that. We need to shed light on the fact that we're all together in this. There's a lot of separation. And mm-hmm. the fact that there is so much inclusion in this, not only between ethnicities and Bronx at the time, but then you've got um, the four elements of hip hop being shed light on equally. I think the, the honor to DJs, the honor to emceeing also breakdancing and graffiti artists. You've got Jaden Smith. <laughs> Jaden Smith. <laughs> he, <laughs> I have very <clears throat> mixed feelings on. Sometimes yeah. I think he's just adorable and mm-hmm. also I love that he just does his own thing. And then yeah. sometimes I think that he needs to be reeled in a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. And, and But I do love when he's just out there and himself. It's like, of course it'd be Jaden playing this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and Jaden plays... One of Zeke's friends, because Zeke has a bunch of, of mm-hmm. friends. There's like four or five of them. Right. And he's obsessed with graffiti art. Yeah. And I will say, was it the end of the first episode? I think it was. Uh, when they finally get to the get down, the actual oh, yeah. party. That's the end of the first episode. Yeah, that's the end of the first episode. And so the whole time I was pretty, I was actually kind of upset about how everything was treated so far. Mm-hmm. And then it gets there and then I felt it. I was like, okay, I'm I'm on I'm on board. Because yeah. then it started to the thing with the Baz Luhrmann effect is um all the glitz, all the glamour, all the CGI, the things that I did not particularly like about Moulin Rouge, about the Great Gatsby, 
And probably about Romeo and Juliet is just I like Romeo and Juliet because I think it's just the nostalgia aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I think that just kind of stayed with me. Uh, but the things I did not like about Great Gatsby and Moulin Rouge are a little bit brought in to uh, the get down. And I was just so sad that for such a story that's so real and gritty in a good way, I didn't need all the polish and all the fantastical elements. Yeah, I, I feel especially the the sort of I mean, they try to do that effect. I notice in some of the episodes they have that rear projection screen, <laughs> yeah. which I can sort of say. Rear, I can't say rear, rear, rear. <laughs> And, you know, they're trying to make it look grainy mm-hmm. and gritty, but it, it but it looks polished and yeah while they're doing it so yeah it, it, and i understand they're trying to match what archival footage they actually do put in so i get it if that's the method but it's still like we can tell <laughs> yeah 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 it's not <laughs> yeah so yeah. but then when it finally gets to the get down it becomes for me like magical all the fantastical elements come alive and it just shows It shows, I think, the proper amount of energy that it should show for the fact that you are walking into history being made. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a hellhole for all intents and purposes in the Bronx. Yet the one art form that's prevailed for decades now and has become the most influential force worldwide that has taken people from nothing to everything is now being created and you need that kind of energy you need to see that kind of beauty and i think everything came together at that moment and there are a few moments um other than that where mostly at the get down and things like that where i feel it again and i'm super in love with those moments yeah i think also we have this story being told and it's not like this could be a white kid. Mm-hmm. Like it's not. Right. It's not possible. Yeah. Like that's not the way it is. And and I kind of want to branch out the conversation a bit because I think that's a lot of times when you're talking about these sorts of films mm-hmm. that are coming of age stories, and so often we get the white guy. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a, it's a white kid. Yeah, sometimes it's a white girl. Mm-hmm. Just looking at the Wikipedia page for. Uh, coming of age story. Oh my which goodness! I, which I'm so glad. But yeah, I I googled coming of age movies and I was like, dang, this sucks. Yeah, <laughs> every every single on the Wikipedia page as of this moment, almost every single one that they list here of films that could be included in the the genre of teen film slash coming of age films. Right. All of them except for E2 Mama Tambien and mm-hmm. the Motorcycle Diaries. Right. It's about. A white person. Yeah. And most of them are white boys. Yeah. And you think of you think of what are like the for me, um, the first ones I thought of when I thought of coming of age movies, what is it? Stand by me and now and then. Yeah. Like those are the two, I think. Yeah. And in recent years, of course, boyhood. Mm -hmm. So and and I started you were like, Oh, what about some coming of age movies? And I started thinking about them and was like, Oh my god. It's not like I should be shocked. <laughs> but it, but the thing is, is that there are a ton. It's just they don't get talked about. Yeah. I can think of, I mean, I made a list, but mm-hmm. I could think of off the top of my head. You you can look at Crooklyn. Yes. Spike Lee's Crooklyn, which is, I, it's one of his few movies that is start has a female protagonist. Yes. And she's, I think that's probably the best written female character mm-hmm. he's ever, he's ever done. Uh, Cooley High yeah. is a coming of age story. Pariah, D. Reese's Pariah, Pariah which... Yeah. I rewatched some clips yesterday, and it's still that movie. I feel has also culture, like some very culturally specific things going on there. Right, right. And Kim Wayne's is just as her mother. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't even. <laughs> I don't even want to say. Uh, if you haven't seen She's Pariah, so Pariah is yeah, about. Pariah's great. Yeah. Pariah is about a teenage girl named Alike. She's played by Adapero Oduye. And she's clearly experimenting, trying to figure out what she is in terms yeah. of her sexuality. Mm-hmm. She has uh, her best friend is, is a gay woman and she hangs out with her and her mother, played by Kim Waynes, yes. is not having that. Not she's all. a religious, religious household. Yeah. And it's just a really lovely story about her uncovering what that is mm-hmm. and what what she what she wants. And. There's a great scene where 
she asks her friend to to buy her a dildo so that she can you know <laughs> so she and uh, and that and it's for her to to strap to strap on and wear out you know and I, it's just funny because she her friend buys her a white dildo and she's like you couldn't, you couldn't find you couldn't find a brown one or a black one and just those little moments right are I I just appreciate that sort of because we we have there are other examples of the gay kid trying to figure out their sexuality Mm -hmm. but i think we don't often see that from the perspective of of people of color yeah and that to me even even if it i don't want to heap all the praise on it only because of that because it is a very well-written movie and it's extremely well acted and directed Mm -hmm. but that to me is kind of what stands out about that sort of storytelling yeah and one of my favorites in the last two to three years is Girlhood. A movie I, I must admit I still have not seen yet. Okay. But I've heard so many good... Can you e- e- elaborate? Yeah. Um, you've got a woman, a young woman. She's coming of age, teenager, in right outside of Paris. I think it's La Défense, if I can remember correctly, because I did study abroad there and I recognize the building. <laughs> um, and it's played by Khadija Touré. And she plays Vic, and she's joins this, becomes friends with a group of girls who, you know, they're kind of bad. You know, they act up, they fight, they do all that. But really, they're, it's, they're sweethearts at the end. They're friends, and they, and they start to navigate teenagehood together. Um, and there's this one scene that's just like that everyone talks about where they just sing or lip sync. I don't remember which one. Uh, Rihanna's Diamonds together. Oh, I've seen that scene. Yeah. Yeah. And, That's a powerful song. And it's just like, they just they play the whole song. And it's just girls singing to each other that shine bright like a diamond. Like, you know, it's, that's amazing. And I, when I saw that scene, I couldn't really remember the last time I'd seen anything like that in just taking the time out. No cuts. Well, maybe there's some cuts, but nothing like no interruptions, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing else to focus on other than just living in the moment and being young and having friends. And that's one movie that's definitely stayed with me for a long time, especially if thinking of coming of age, along with Raising Victor Vargas is one that Another movie I haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> when did that come out? Was that 2002? Oh, OK. Yeah, it takes place all in LES, all in Lower East Side. Mm. You've got mostly Latino uh, people who have lived there for years. This is not a gentrified LES. This is people who have been there for decades and decades. And you've got Victor Asuk playing Victor. And Judy Marte, who is in The Get Down as Zeke's aunt. Oh. Because it's so good. And there's this one moment where, um, if I remember right, Victor's grandmother is... uh, just bathing her her grandkid and uses a can of cafe bustelo like the coffee can mm-hmm. to rinse the hair out an empty can and seeing things like that like that's what representation is right like it's it's seeing things that you're like oh my grandma does that um this is how i grew up things about this actually hit home to me this is not a completely foreign thing i don't have to try to relate to this character i already do yeah. and that's why I love raising Victor Vargas. It's and it's such like a good indie New York coming of age movie. Those are two movies I need to bump up on my have to watch list. Yeah, then. yeah. <laughs> which I'm sure is ridiculously long. It's very long. Girl, yeah. Girlhood has been in my Netflix queue for I mean ever since it, it dropped. Yeah, and I just have not gotten around to it. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna bump it up a yeah. little bit. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Before we go, let's get into our plus or deltas. What is your plus this week? I was on the fence about whether this was contrived or not, but I was really surprised by the amount of representation in this week's VMAs, this year's VMAs. Mm. I felt like, first of all, I don't think there was a white host at all for the night. No, I think they had DJ Khaled, Mm -hmm. Nicole Byer, and Key and Peele. Yeah. And they might have have had. Oh, I think Jay Farrow was like popping in and out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And 
the main people honored that night were Rihanna, Beyonce with her mini concert. <laughs> yes. And I was and and Kanye, who, you know, those were the three big moments of the night, if I could guess three. Yeah. And it was incredibly and of course um the three if i could say the three people who won the vmas it's rihanna beyonce and tiana taylor oh tiana taylor so <laughs> so i was actually really surprised that it was that way and of course mtv got a lot of backlash for not representing rock in any way oh, uh, really? a lot of people went at them <laughs> i i'm sorry i know this this is really terrible of me because if they, they hadn't represented R&B, although I don't even know they represented R&B. R&B doesn't well, really exist. Well, what is R&B right now? Yeah, yeah. What, it doesn't really exist. <laughs> but, you know, but rock. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> listen, I'm I'm with you on that. But, but you know, I also like, get it if it's music, television, and there's no, but I think it's also speaking to the state of rock right now too, right? Yeah, I mean, there was a time when v- the VMAs were at least 60 to 75% rock. Yeah, I was surprised though. I was like, well, that's interesting. Yeah. That, that happened (laughs) yeah it was nice and i also just love i'm not caribbean but Mm -hmm. i love the fact that rihanna just wrapped that so hard that's the best rihanna yeah all we want all we want is bashment rihanna that's all we want (laughs) yes how many she had like 400 black people that's on stage that's what i love bring them all i I don't think i've ever seen them any black people on that (laughs) on vma stage oh my god yeah (laughs) that's probably never happened but i am here for it every moment of it she was like i'm bringing every person i know yes and (laughs) you will deal yeah (laughs) (laughs) and what would be your delta still with the vmas i am not I thought Kanye would do more with the four minutes that MTV gave him. Yeah, that was diminishing returns. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because MTV tells Kanye he can do whatever he wants for four whole minutes. And at first he mentions Chicago and I'm thinking, oh, he's going to bring he's going to bring a word right now. Mm-hmm. He's going to put everybody in their place and, and he's going to speak to it. And then he kind of didn't. He kind of went all over the place and started shouting out, sh- shouting out Ray J and Amber Rose and, and, and Taylor Swift. I'm like, these are the same people you've been talking about for a few years. Yeah. I, I would have loved for him to sober people up for a second and be like, this is crazy. And And he's someone who talks very much about the fact that he has so much influence, that he is part of he's super influential one of the most influential people currently living on this planet Mm -hmm. and he could have created a conversation around it that i thought would have been incredibly useful and poignant and powerful and he didn't really do that so i was let down by that yeah that is a fair point kanye was more than anything, I I was bored. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't I didn't yeah. care. Right for my plus, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go with the fact that Kerry Washington. It was just announced that she is developing yes. a female LAPD drama. I read that last <laughs> night, and I was considering that for a plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't really. It's early, so we don't really know much about it. Mm-hmm. But. I'm just I'm just totally here for that. Here for it too. Bronx girl. <laughs> Carrie Washington. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I I always think of her because the first time I ever saw her was in friggin' Save the Last Dance. Yeah. With that terrible accent. <laughs> her, her. Open up your pretty brown eyes and look the hell around. <laughs> what was it? When Julia Styles is like or she's like, take off that shirt. You look country. It's country and you, you look, look country, country in it. it. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I know him. He's my brother. <laughs> oh, Carrie Washington and Save the Last Dance. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, yes, I'm just really excited that she is women, especially but women of color, mm-hmm. especially, especially, who are not just content to be actresses and who are really putting their power influence out there. Right. And for her to create the female LAPD cop drama mm-hmm. which and also makes me think of remember dyke and fats <laughs> yes of course that would be, that that would be cool. how could i forget <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of awesome if that turned out to be what it was it's probably oh. not going to but um <laughs> dyke and fats is the the skit from snl with kate mckinnon and mm-hmm. ad bryant as two female hard-nosed cops <laughs> the 70s themed hard, hard-nosed cops yeah. so i'm i'm looking forward to seeing what that what that entails Same. my delta is 
the way in which people have responded to this whole birth of a nation Nate Parker thing, mm. it bothers me that I mean we can talk about what he did yeah. or didn't do. Right. I think the way he handled it was not a good look. Yeah. It was just disrespectful. And now he's he's had, he's owned up to it, and yes. he had that that uh, recent Ebony piece mm-hmm. interview where he. Repeated the, the phrase toxic mas- masculinity yeah. many, many times. Yeah. And, you know, it's a step in the right direction. But what bothers me almost as much, if not more, is are the people who are claiming that this is, you know, him, this is Hollywood trying to tear him yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. Which Fox Searchlight gave him $17 million to make that movie. I don't think they want to tear him down. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. It's It's been, uh, it's the highest deal ever at Sundance and Sundance history? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. They gave him or not to make it but to to distribute it. And mm-hmm. so yeah, that I it, it, to me it just speaks to people again not wanting to believe women when yeah. things like when things like this happen. Right. Trying to use a scapegoat of quote unquote the man and look, uh-huh. I am just as frustrated with the way Hollywood treats people of color. Yeah. As anyone else. This whole podcast is about that, yeah. <laughs> but we we can't we we you, we can't put blinders on and just walk through this tunnel and think everything is about that. And totally. I, and maybe we can. I hate. I don't hate it, but I I feel like the word intersectionality is is used a lot. Mm-hmm. But in this in this instance, I have to, for lack of a better way of saying it, I have to side with the feminine part of me or the woman part of me, which believes this woman. And correct. And whatever happened, you know, we don't we don't know what happened, yeah. but we also know that he did not handle it well after whatever happened. Totally. We were around for this latter part, right? Yes. Like we yes. could we saw what he could have done with the situation, how right. he could have treated everything and right. it has not been treated with respect. No respect. So that is that is my delta. I I hope it's going to be a long Oscar season. We're going yeah. to be talking about this a lot. Mm-hmm. I just it, it saddens me that people are <clears throat> are not looking. And also, just I think I was listening to Code Switch did a, a very fascinating roundtable about this, and someone made the smart point on that roundtable that you know there there are other black people and people of color who are just as talented who were also waiting for their turn so yeah. it's not like if he right. if he gets knocked yeah. down there's not going to be other people there right so. all our chips wearing on him yeah or shouldn't be <laughs> no no that's that's not the case anymore we're yeah. we are lucky that we live in a time now where things are getting better yes. and there are more options and there are more avenues and totally so that's that is my my take and that is my delta i hate to end on that note very solid delta though thank I'd you say. yeah so <laughs> with that said Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you. I'm so glad we got to talk about the get down and raising Victor Vargas yep. on my month list. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I look forward to having you on again soon. Look forward to coming back. Amores from America is an indie coming-of-age dramedy about experiencing the awkward and sometimes humiliating pangs of adolescence in a strange and new environment. Charming newcomer Marquise Christmas is the titular character who moves to Heidelberg, Germany with his single dad, Curtis, who's played by comedy vet Craig Robinson, after Curtis gets a new job. The transition isn't easy for Morris. He's a shy black kid suddenly dropped into an all-white world. And the film explores his uneasy friendship with his crush, a slightly older girl named Katrin, as well as his evolving relationship with his father. I recently chatted with Robinson about how his role here shows off a different, more sensitive side, his dark turn as Ray in the TV drama Mr. Robot, and, interestingly enough, the classic sitcom Different Strokes. Hey, Craig, thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so in this movie, you play a widowed dad who moves to Germany with his son to, in order to coach soccer. Can you tell me a little bit about how you became involved with the film and what drew you to the project? Yes. My agent sent me the script, and uh, you know he was really excited about it. And uh, Chad Hardigan, who was the director, is, we had the same agency. 
So we were hooked up that way. And uh, I really liked the script. I liked uh, the way that my character talked. I liked his relationship with his son, the way they kind of, um, you know, there was a, a underlying respect, uh, no matter what, what situation they got in. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought that was uh, uh, interesting to see him portray, especially as you know, two black people in Germany. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that I feel like there are a lot of elements of the film that, you know, can be considered very, very familiar. It's sort of a coming of age story. And we've seen that before. But what I think makes this film different is is the fact that we don't often see sort of the black American experience in at least indie movies or Hollywood movies, uh, the black American experience in a foreign country. And so I find that really that sort of dynamic really uh, fascinating. And, and then you guys really the, the dynamic you two have you and Marquise Christmas like is just really, really Great. I love that dynamic that you two share. Right. And, we, and it's just being in Germany, you know, it, it lent itself to that uh, isolation mm-hmm. that even though, you know, there are people around, we, we still were both very uh, isolated. Was that your first time in Germany or had you had you spent time there before? That was my first time. I've been to Europe before, but I never been to Germany before. We shot in uh, Heidelberg and um, in Berlin. And and what was what do you think of Germany? Like what was that what was that experience like for you? I had a wonderful time. It was uh Heidelberg is nice and in this quaint, sweet place. There was a festival going on right right across the street all the time where I was uh, staying. And there was a, a castle right next door to that festival. It was it was awesome. Like it was a twelve hundred year old castle, a Heidelberg castle. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a rip because they didn't let you go around the whole castle. So I couldn't see like where people got tortured and then but other than that, you know, it was really nice. And then uh, the next week, went to Berlin, and uh, that was just sexy. Berlin is sexy. <laughs> nice. Well, I, I as I've never been to Berlin, but I, I do know that there's probably a more sizable population of people of color in Berlin than there are in Heidelberg. I, I think in, at one point in the movie, <laughs> you mentioned that you and and, uh, and Morris are the only two brothers in Heidelberg. Is, did, was that true for you while you were there? Like, were, did you see any other black people there? I, I don't recall. <laughs> uh, no, actually, yeah, I did. There was some servicemen and women there. Okay. But I, I don't remember any uh, black Germans. Mm. Of course, I was just going from, you know, my hotel room pretty much to set. And then I did have a little time when I went to the castle and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, so this is, uh, I think, a big departure from a lot of your other roles. It's it is a comedic role to some extent. There is there are flashes of comedy and there are moments of of levity, um, especially between you and uh, Marquis Christmas, who plays your son Morris. But I think that I, this might be the first time I feel that we've seen you as a single dad. The first time we've seen you sort of take on this more dramatic role, and that's nothing new. We've seen. Tons of people who are known for being comedians, Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy, Robin Williams, they've taken these roles before. But for you, sort of what made you, you know, aside from the script itself, was was this like just the right time for you to take on this role and at this point in your career? Was this the first kind of role that had ever come your way? It was uh, it was pretty organic the way it, it happened. And it's, it's not the first role I had like that, like I, early on, like my first or second movie, I was in a movie called played and then I was in a short but I, I wasn't focused on dramatic pieces and yeah I will say this was a great amazing time to come because of this role I was uh, uh, offered the role of Mr. Robot that mm-hmm. uh, I'm on the season and who knows what else but I, I, I am enjoying this ride you know give you a chance to sink your teeth into something and go go deeper mm-hmm. and what what was that like for you in terms of just especially that scene towards the end between you and Morris when you're kind of bonding over your mutual doing crazy things for for a girl or for women and that scene is just very yeah there's some some funny moments there but it is very also there's a lot of 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 um, heft going on there and, and drama. Like, what was that back and forth going like for you? And also just acting alongside a 13-year-old kid. Like, what was that challenge like? Marquise had a, a, a great handle on it. Hey, you know, this is the first movie and all of that. You know, the chemistry we had, it was effortless. We just worked together well because we clicked right away when we met. And as far as that back and forth, he was pushing me. There was a, a, a part where he's crying. You know, and it, it it just you know it just took us to that to that level where we needed to be for that scene. Mm-hmm. And did you did you 
guys bond at all over to being two black guys? Or you, you've obviously been a, a black child at one point and, and just sort of was there any sort of uh, advice you gave him sort of joking off offset that that happened between the two of you? No. <laughs> Matter of fact, no. <laughs> um, cause we had different hours to shoot and we, you know, and he, he has his uh, labor laws and all that, I guess. But mm. it was, we would shoot and then I, I would usually, since I was only there for a couple of weeks, I would usually be done uh, uh, much later, mm-hmm. you know, after he had gotten off so I could do my other stuff. So we didn't hang out per se. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the group, uh, uh, we, we did, the, the group did hang out and we, we were kicking the stuff, but it wasn't like, hey, come on, let's go around the city, Marquise. Let me tell you about me being a black kid. That, that did not happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd also just like to talk a little bit about sort of this this concept you mentioned earlier. You know, part of the reason why you're attracted to the film is is the fact that it's it's a story that that bond that bond between a, a black father and a black son. And I'm curious, just the the idea of black male vulnerability that I think we see on display in this film. You're playing a dad who's you know, you're trying to do your best, uh, but it's also difficult because you've moved your son all the way across the country or, or all the way across the world. And you you can only help him so much. And just via, I think, especially the moments via hip hop that happen, there are moments where you guys share rhymes and, and there's, a, uh, there's a scene in which you tell him, you know, rap what you know, don't rap about fucking two bitches, blah, blah, blah. What sort of... <laughs> What were you trying to get at in those scenes in terms of what black male vulnerability can be and sort of how that transfers through hip-hop and music in, in particular? Uh, first of all, Chad Hardigan wrote those lyrics, fucking all the bitches two at a time. <laughs> we were, my my thing with this movie is um, is pulling together, being on the same team. Get over your, get over the little stuff so you can get to the the bigger stuff. So there's a scene in there where where Morris curses at Curtis, mm-hmm. you know, and it's uh it's it's not okay in any stretch. Like if if you look at any parent child relationship, it's not okay for you know the child to be cursing at the parent. It's just not cool. But uh, Curtis like squashes that out of you know respect. Hey, you chill, I chill. Because he knows he needs him on his team, and he knows he knows he's not ready. He's thirteen years old. He's not ready for anything that this uh, that's being thrown at him in Germany uh, with his, his the girl he's in love with, and uh, she's kind of teased, but she's the only one who befriends him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not ready for any of this stuff, but he does need him, you know, to to to, to grow. He needs him to be a man because uh, he's he's got to handle his business too. So one thing. And I think it's also pretty relevant today in terms of all the stuff that's going on politically with Black Lives Matter and, you know, police brutality and this conversation around that. And I think one of the things that we often talk about is the fact that black kids don't often get to be just kids. And in in Morris for America, he's constantly being put in these sort of a adult situations or he's putting himself into these adult situations because he's very curious and that's sort of part of what being you know a 13 year old kid is but um when he does try to you know be a kid and be a black kid that moment in one scene where he's uh rapping in front of all the youth center all the people in the youth center he's he's then you know um, and then at one point, I think one of the the, the head of the youth center uh, says that someone found marijuana and he's automatically under suspicion. Do you do you relate at all to that sort of theme of of always feeling under suspicion and this idea? Like, do you think that the movie's trying to make a bigger point about black kids just not being able to be kids? I uh, certainly have my uh, experiences growing up. Um you know, being a, a group of us went to the mall. I think we were like celebrating, graduating eighth grade or something. And uh, as soon as we walked in the mall, security guard goes, well, "I don't want no trouble from any of y'all." He's like, he just, you know, just as soon as he walked in, it was just, "What are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been following around, you know, uh, uh, a store, you know, that kind of stuff. 
uh, as a young man, maybe even older man. Um, so yeah, I've, I've had those experiences. I think Chad captured, yeah, and that's why I said, well, we didn't want to push it too far. What I do like is that he, there are parts in the movie where it does show he, he does know better. For instance, um, when uh, the girls want him to take the ecstasy and he wanted to do it to impress them. Um, but he had, uh, he had done his research on it and he realized it wasn't for him. So he spit it out. I thought that was a pretty powerful moment. Uh, just showing that he, something is getting through to this kid, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting just to to talk a little bit about the, the girl in the movie. Uh, her, her character's name is Catherine and she, like you said, she is very much a tease, but she is also like his only lifeline really out there aside from his his dad and, and his his German tutor. And I, I and I mean, no disrespect to the actress herself, but I, I kind of felt like the way she was written and the way she's portrayed in the film, she comes off as a sort of Becky type to me, um, just sort of the 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 absolute worst kind of of white white girl or white woman who you can like try to befriend uh she just causes problems for everyone i don't know if you see her as that or if i'm off base but i kind of got the becky vibe from her i mean i think she genuinely likes him and she's genuinely uh you know curious about him mm-hmm. you know cuz she does spend time with him you know, she does uh, uh, get to know him, and, and and at the same time, she she is you know she loves another dude, and you know what I mean. It's it's uh, and and I no, I totally get what you're saying, but it's is I, I think there was a uh, something genuine about like her wanting to spend time with him, and hang out, and like she sees him clocking her, and so she, you know, she hides, and then like, hey, here I am. Mm-hmm. I, don't know, I, I dug it. Yeah, and also like in a way she does towards the end sort of in this twisted way, give him the confidence to actually rap in front of other people, which, you know, he wasn't able to do at the beginning. He was only able to show that confidence in his own, in his bedroom, in the comfort of his bedroom. So yeah, she, she started, she pushed him to that level. And Chad Hardigan, he, um, like you mentioned earlier, he wrote and directed the film. And I'm just curious as to whether, you know, when you, when you, before you read the script, uh, if you were at all hesitant about the fact, like I, I think that he does capture sort of what it's what it's like to be a black person and in an entirely white environment at a young age, like really well. And I was like genuinely surprised at how well it, it was. And I'm just curious as to whether you were wary at all or if you thought, you know, why is this white guy writing this very, very personal story? Um from that point of view, no, I actually thought Chad was black when I read the script, oh. <laughs> and then when I met him, I was like, "You wrote this?" Mm-hmm. So no, I, I like I said when I when I first read it, you know, I just I was like, "Wow, this is the way I talk," you know. So it was uh, I was very comfortable, and then when we met, I was like, "Man, this this dude knows what he's talking about." And you mentioned that you start like after you were in this role for Morris from America, that's actually how you got cast by Sam Esmel and um, in Mr. Robot. And at the time of this recording, we're about more than halfway through season two of Mr. Robot at this point. And I think even more so than Morris from America, this role as Ray in Mr. Robot is an even bigger departure from what we usually see from you is, is, uh, you know, there's pretty much no, there's a little bit of, of humor in there, but really the last few episodes especially have been super dark. Do you know, so the role, was that written with you in mind or was there, was there already some, were there other people considered for the role? Um, it was not written with me in mind, hmm. to my knowledge. It was, uh, I think other people were considered for sure. When we talked about Sam and I, he was telling me about, you know, auditions and, and stuff. And he was, uh, he was really concerned about this, uh, a certain turn that had to be made. And he wanted the guy to be, you know, jovial and kind of like, you know, the the, uh, the cool dude in the neighborhood. And uh, and he also didn't tell me everything about the role. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's another thing I wanted to ask you is like, how much of the character did you know about when you signed on? Or even now, how much of the? I'm assuming you filmed all of your scenes at this point. But did you know? Yeah, yeah, now, now, now I know a lot more. Okay. Um, but no, no, he, he was like the... Uh, the oracle or something. He just told me what I needed to hear. Yeah, it's super 
just especially, I think it was either last week's episode or the week before, and I'm just going to spoil it because by the time it comes up, you know, whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, we find out that you are sort of this procurer of the, the deep web or like all these very dark things on the Internet. And it's just very weird to 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 see you in that sort of light. I think a lot of your characters, honestly, like even your comedic roles, they have sort of an edge to them and a darkness and just... It to, the way I see it is that you're sort of teasing it out in a, in a more dark, darker, twisted way. Uh, what are some of the craziest fan theories that you've heard about who your character is and how he fits into Elliot's narrative? Because I know at one point we we were all speculating as to whether or not he was in a mental institution and you were his handler of some sort or his therapist. Um, and who knows, that could still be the twist. But, like, is there any crazy fan theories that you've heard? Uh, no, that's, that's the one I heard. And I, I haven't seen a, a lot a lot about it, and I certainly don't say a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I won't, I won't press you for more information, but uh, I'm looking forward to, <laughs> <laughs> to hearing, seeing more of what, what happens exactly. So another thing I wanted to ask you about is that, especially in More From America and also almost all of your roles you music plays a big part of your roles and what you've done throughout your career and i believe you you have your own band correct yes okay what what is the band called the nasty delicious mm. <laughs> is it is it a funk band or uh you know r&b what kind of music so, um we're funk mixed with stank mm. we play whatever the moments call for originally the band is uh an extension of my comedy because I always play the keyboard with the comedy, right? So, um, but now with the band, you like, let's say if I'm doing, uh, I will survive, you know, uh, 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 now you got a drum solo, now it's a concert. Because mm-hmm. uh, I have these, all my, you know, these accomplished musicians. So, uh, it's, uh, you know, we're working on some, you know, uh, getting the album out there, get some original tunes and really take it to that next level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you hadn't become a comedian, do you think you would have done? I know you're a music teacher previously, and you sort of drew on that in the last year's uh, TV show, Mr. Robinson. But would you, you know, would you have turned to music full time had you not been a comedian? I I was in college. I was I bought a keyboard because I was like, I'm going to be uh, a musician. I'm going to be a singer. And this is what I'm going to do. And and then comedy swooped in and took over. I was ready to be like Usher or somebody. <laughs> <laughs> My second to last question would be, is there anyone, you, you now you've worked with Chad Hardigan and you've worked with Sam Esmel. Is there anyone in particular who you're like very interested in working with who's a director and, you know, maybe more of these types of roles. I know Mr. Robot has kind of helped you sort of discover this darker side on the, on the performing end. So is there anyone you'd want to work with in the future? Yes. Comedically, I would lo- love to work with Ben Stiller to direct. Have you not worked with him already? Uh, I've worked with him, but not directing. Okay, not got it. Directing. Like his, his comedy mind is, is like incredible. Mm-hmm. And um, I, don't, I don't hear a lot about that. <laughs> Dramatically... Ava DuVernay is someone that uh, I think could bring, uh, you know, ch- challenge me and take me to some places. She's on my uh, dream list to work with. Yeah, she she has a way of, of bringing out amazing performances. So my last question would be, when was the last time you felt represented on screen? Represented on screen? Or if you can't think of the last time, if you can think of the first time you felt represented on screen. <laughs> first time I felt represented on screen was uh, Different Strokes. Interesting. Willis and Arnold. <laughs> I have a little brother, so uh, ah, okay. So I, I could be I, I could be the Willis or Arnold, but I mean, that was you couldn't touch Gary Coleman back in the day. I had a part in my hair because of Gary Coleman. <laughs> So yeah, that was uh, that was the first time I think I, I, I was like, you know, felt represented. And I didn't know what I was feeling. I was like, oh man, but you know, I I, I look forward to seeing this kid every week. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace, Gary. <laughs> Rest in peace. 
Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Craig. It was a pleasure to have you. And everyone, look out for Morris from America. Thank you for taking the time and getting the word out. That's all for today. Thanks again to Tiffany for coming on the show and talking with me about the get down. And thank you again to Craig for chatting with me. And you can look out for Morris from America right now in select theaters and on demand. You'll find a link to some of the many things we discussed today in the show notes. And please, 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 if you liked this conversation and want to hear more, rate us on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Represent is produced by the lovely, amazing Verilyn Williams. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Steve Lichtig. Andy Bowers is chief content officer of Panoply. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Slate Represent. Music is performed by the lovely San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. Until next time. Bye.